Hey, Mom. How's it going? Good. How are you, David? I'm doing okay. Um, so today we're diving into the actual book. So the first 12 chapters in section one, um, which is on Italy. And it's, it's really interesting. There's a, a lot of ground to cover um, in this first section. And it's interesting as well, because it's like not really about Italy, right? Um, she like we we end and she's just now settling in to Italy like day four or whatever but a lot of it she sort of starts with a scene in Italy then jumps back to okay how did she even get here in the first place right and then now by the end of this these 12 um, chapters we're now in Italy so like you know the next two the next two episodes will be about her experience in Italy but yeah this is very much kind of backward looking um there's a few, there's a lot to cover here because it kind of captures her whole view of uh, her goal and her kind of starting point of her view of life. Um, I had a few key aspects I wanted to, to call out, but I'm interested in first hearing your thoughts on, on, uh, you know, where we are at this point and, and, you know, the, her, her journey to getting to Italy. Well, I, um, I happen to have the 10-year edition copy. So in it, she wrote um, a quite a long um, prologue, prologue mm -hmm. to it. And um, she talks about what her experience has been like after writing the book. And then she talks about... Um, I guess some of the learnings she had from writing the book and the things she had to let go of to write the book. And there was something that came, that she wrote that really resonated for me. Um, in, a, in the introduction, she said, what if your life belongs to you? And she said, "It's." Um, I felt that was so important because society dictates what life should be and we lose ourselves to fulfill that expectation. And that's really what her book is about. It's mm -hmm. about her taking hold of her home life. And, you know, she talks about in the beginning of the intro in the introduction, she talks about the expectations that are placed on her because she's female and then how she had to let go of those. And it, even that part of it was just such a, an important journey for her, that letting go piece and recognizing that her life belonged to her. So yeah, I, and go ahead. I think that's kind of the main thing I wanted to hit on, especially, you know, coming from where I do now and, and, you know, my peer group as well, that this is really her learning how to, what I'd call be selfish in a, in a healthy way, like self-interested, selfish, what do I want? And, you know, two of the things that stuck out um, at the start is she's really trying to get rid of this sense of duty to her husband, to society, to her friends, she owes everyone something. And, you know, she said she needed to learn a radical new question. What do you want to do, Liz? Like, and really start asking. And, and you know, that was what was tough for me and for many people I know is to really start thinking, who am I? What do I want? And so I think it's like a profoundly uh, selfish journey, which, but I'm saying selfish in a good sense, right? Um, self-discovery, self-interest, and really trying to figure out who she is and like letting us into that, uh, that journey. And that selfishness in that, in that letting go of who you think you are to become who you want to be, it doesn't have to manifest in taking the type of trip that she took. And that's something that she hits on because not everybody can do that, but you can do it here. And as someone of my age group, you know, I did grow up with those prescribed what I was supposed to do. And I followed that path. I got married, I had children. And it wasn't until I was around my 40s that I started to go on that journey. And I didn't leave and go to Italy and do all those things. But I had to do it in a way where I called it taking back my voice. Mm. I started taking back my voice and I started listening to myself. Instead yeah, I of all the noise around me. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's a big point as well. And I think, you know, what you something you said is really important. It's not just kind of finding who you are, but it's also choosing who you want to be. Right. And so she very much decided like, 
okay, I'm going to explore my pleasure, explore my prayer, and then try and find the balance. But it's like, it's, this is a journey of discovery because she wants to get experiences as herself and then decide, okay, how do I want to be? Who do I want to create rather than just like, it's not like, I don't like the idea of just finding yourself. It's like, no, choose who you want to be, create yourself. And I think this is like what she, her approach seems to be as well. Absolutely. And she was following that typical path, right? She was following the prescribed path. You know, I was 23 when I had my first child. And I, as I started to take back my voice, I started to question, what did I really know at 23? At Mm. 23, I knew nothing. I thought I knew everything, but I really knew nothing. And so nothing in terms of who I was, I'll say. And so, um, if I can just touch on something else that she said that I think is really important in that introduction, mm-hmm. in that, in that, um, you, you don't have the copy with that piece, right? No. So she said, the shape of your journey will be different from mine, but at bottom, our questions will be the same. These are not easy questions, by the way. They are merely the biggest and olden questions of any human life. Who am I? Who does my life belong to? What is my relationship to divinity? What have I come here to do? Do I have the right to change my own path? With whom do I want to share my path, if anyone? Do I have the right to experience pleasure and peace? If so, what would bring me pleasure and what would bring me peace? And I think that was just so important reading that after reading the book years ago without that 10 year celebratory introduction prologue Mm -hmm. and reading it now where I am and where I've watched the people I love journey. It was, it just hit on so many key points that I think even opens up in a, in a much more powerful way to the book. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And I, you know, I agree with almost everything she outlined there. Obviously, her and my philosophy are slightly different, but I think um, they're still really important points. And I love how sort of I centered it is, right? What is my relationship with these things? Who do I want to be? Do I deserve these things? And I think, you know, the answer is yes, to a large degree, right? There's some stipulations potentially. Um, But I think that's so important. And you know, diving into the book, I, I think, um, you know, it's it's very much we get introduced to this idea of the solitude as well, right? That she wants to spend a year with herself, like sort of in solitude to a degree, right? Um, and how difficult and unusual that is, right? She mentions she got her own apartment and it was the first time ever she lived on her own, mm-hmm. right? At age, you know, whatever, 34, 33, Um and, and, you know, for me, it was similarly so important to really kind of remove myself from the world as a starting point, because it's almost like you're born into this chaotic world with, uh, and you're kind of pushed to be what everyone else needs you to be. And there's so much, so much noise around. And the, the other thing I just want to hit on at the very start of this section, she also, um, talks about how she was trying to not know she wanted to leave her marriage. And I think that is Mm -hmm. the most important thing in terms of what leads people astray in life is they try to avoid things they know to be true. They don't want to face reality. They want to evade and they don't want to, they don't want to accept something, even if it's an emotion, if it's something they feel about a situation oh, no, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't think this thing. And like, like that was where we, that's where we kind of come into our struggle is she's there on the floor trying to not face that, but she can no longer avoid it. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, with my experience and with other people I know who had mental health issues, it's like that somehow that finally breaks through, right? And it's like, we need to make sure people learn how to not get to that point, Right. And to be able to just sort of always be paying attention and never be evading and pushing away the things that they maybe wish weren't true, but are. Well, 
as I continue, as I began and started to explore myself more, one of the things that I really learned about was trusting my instincts. And we're not taught, um, society doesn't teach us to trust our instincts. And so her instincts were telling her that she needs to get out, but she was following. It's um, what she believed was expected of her to follow that norm instead of trusting her instincts. And if we can learn just to trust our instincts and, and move with those, I think it will lead to, it, lead, it does. I know that it does lead to a healthier way of living. So I, I will push back a bit on the word instincts. I don't believe there are instincts, right? I think people have a tendency like, everything that comes up, you need to weigh and decide if it's true or not. You can't just trust something that comes up that you don't know where it's coming from. Um, and I think like, I think sort of the way she talks about the divine uh, in her or that like kind of God voice, that's sort of the like the all knowing entity that is communicating to her. And so it's not that you're trusting your instincts because you know, this this emotion or this drive comes up, but then it's not, she doesn't act on it immediately. She doesn't divorce her husband there. The, the wise thing to do is go to bed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's not until those things that might be called instincts actually make sense and actually fit in with everything else that's going on that you can follow them. And so I don't really call those instincts I think, you know, but that's getting into what is the nature of the human mind and stuff. So I don't want to get into, into that. But I think when people say follow instincts, it tends to be more kind of like whim worshiping, let's say like, oh, I'm just following this I'm, uh, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I would have to say that I disagree with that just based on my own experience with my instincts. Um, I used to be someone that was whim following, but I've learned how to be more mindful around my instincts. So I think what she was, what she was doing was she was starting to be more mindful around her instincts. So when she said, I'm just going to go back to bed, she was being more mindful around the process that has to happen to get to the end result. Yeah. So I don't want to get into this, but like whether or not there are instincts is a psychological question. Right. <laughs> okay. um, and so it's not like sure one of us is right. One of us is wrong. And but it's Absolutely. not um, it's not directly relevant to uh, what we're talking about here. But I want to, um, you know, then jump into that night. Um, you know, so we get to a point where she's on the ground blubbering in tears an absolute mess she doesn't want to be married um and she doesn't know what to do and then she prays for the first time ever maybe um mm -hmm. and she talks to god and i think you know it's important to talk about these these are very heavy terms obviously prayer god um and many people kind of have a religious background or many people are totally skeptical of anyone who'd ever use these terms you know for me um you know, I think I like the idea of, um, you know, for me, God, I don't really believe in God, right? But to me, it's what when people refer to it, I like her notion of like a personal God that's interested in your life. Um, but to me, that's very much an idea of talking with your sort of deepest self, Absolutely. right? It's, it's this sort of personal relationship. And I hope, you know, anyone who's following along doesn't get kind of turned off by these these ideas because I think they're really big and important ideas and it's it's a good kind of lens to explore um, or it's a it's it's important to explore these ideas through someone's own lens. What really resonates with me is in chapter three she mentions traditionally I have responded to the transcendent mystics of all religions. Um, and that, you know, I'm very similar to that, right? I think that there, are, in any religion, there are there are groups of people who think it's much more about this sort of experience with God, as they'd call it. And you know, for me, I've had those experiences. I've talked to different religious people about it. I've read about it, 
But to me, these are like personal psychological experiences. Like this is about what it means to be alive to, for me. And it's about like the, what it is to be living in a fully human sense. And so whether or not people believe there's like a divine thing or not, the experiences that she has that she would refer to as related to God, you know, in these experiences or later in the book, um, I think are very relatable still and, and do have a, a rational explanation you know, if someone doesn't believe in God. And I think it's important to capture that there's still a lot to learn from her exploration and her relationship with, you know, this spiritual world. Well, one of the things she did was she gave all the different names, mm. not all, but multiple different names, right? And she spoke about looking for truth is not some kind of spazzy free-for-all, not even during this, the great age of spazzy free-for-all. As both a seeker and a writer, I find it helpful to hang on to the beads as much as possible, the better to keep my attention focused on what it is I'm trying to accomplish. So those beads could be whatever it is your belief is. Whatever it is your belief is, however you want to name it, whatever you want to call it, it manifests differently for all of us. And there's not a one size fits all kind of fix it solution. So if you can tap into that God or that voice or whatever it is that resonates for you, that's when you can start your healing. Yeah, I, I, I essentially agree with that. And I think, you know, I don't know what people expect in a book club if they're thinking we're going to like go through and explain her journey. But basically, like this is her just sort of reflecting on a really de devastating time in her life, right? Like she's sort of getting divorced. She falls in love with this other guy. Her life's totally <clears> falling <throat> apart. She doesn't know what she wants at all. Right. And then she's starting on this journey. So I think in other episodes, it will be much more focused on, okay, what's the kind of content of, um, what's the content of the specific chapters in the book? But here, I think it's, it's important for us and the, you know, the viewer and the reader to really just look at this entire situation and reflect on their own life relative to her experiences, right? Because we're not yet kind of on the journey with her. She's telling us how we got to where we are now. Right. And so I think that's, you know, I just want to highlight that I think that's important and that's what we're doing. Um, you know, that being said, we now get to, we get to a point of, okay, she's struggling in her marriage. It's falling apart. She's now in love with this guy, David, uh, no relation. Um, and, um, <laughs> he mentions a few things that I really want to touch on. She calls it desperate love. She mentions she's addicted. Um, and I think, you know, whether or not like love is an addictive drug, right. But, you know, whether it's love or gambling or whatever it is, when people don't have a self, they try and fill that with something. Right. Absolutely. And so here she was, she kind of whiplash and I had a similar experience of, like leaving a very valuable uh, relationship and then just sort of whiplashing to something else and not saying that other thing is not valuable, but it's like, it's so scary to be alone with the whole of where yourself should be. And I think that's, you know, it's very easy to try and find someone to fill that hole. And mm -hmm. I just want to read, uh, you know, this line from, I think it's, yeah, chapter five um, about, you know, now, like already she's saying she's in five chapters, her marriage is falling apart. And now this other relationship is falling apart. And she says, so that's it. You have now reached infatuation's final destination, the complete and merciless devaluation of self. Right. And I think that's so powerful because it's, again, this notion of really just coming to terms with the fact that she has no self-esteem at all. Right. She needed David to fill her self-esteem because it was like first attached to, um, you know, the expectations of life and that she didn't like. She removed herself from that. So then it was just totally attached to a person and now realizing like, oh, wow, I just do not have any self-worth at all, um, which is like a really powerful thing. Well, as a woman we um we can be programmed as little girls to believe that we need to be connected to somebody to have that self-worth and 
the addiction piece that comes with that is self-destructive. Um, and it's so hard to recognize, like with any addiction, to hard, it's hard to recognize it and to internalize it and then to realize that the value is, of it isn't really everything we put onto it. Yeah. And so she really and truly had to dig so deep to get to that place where she could and go her hole got deeper and deeper and deeper as you're reading through that chat, the, the introduction and that beginning of how she ended up in Italy and how she ended up on that journey and her acceptance of I as the most important thing, right? Herself as the most important thing. She had to, the work is so hard to get to that point. And, you, and she was willing to do the work. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's such an important part because the work that she had to do to get to be able to go on that journey of Italy and India and Indonesia and discovery and finding balance, it was, it was really, really hard work. Right. And I think this, you know, there's kind of two sides of it to me. One is just being so brutally honest with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like she, it's so scary to see yourself when you feel like you're nothing. Right. Um, and that comes back to the, like her not wanting to face the truth of her not wanting to be in the marriage. And, and then it's kind of like, once you accept that, um, but I was recently listening to a podcast that was talking about like this kind of supreme motherly and fatherly love. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it would kind of be related to this, this idea she had of God saying like, go to bed and, and her having that kind of presence and calm. It's like the, the, the father is helping you, you know, move forward to who you want to be. But the mother is saying, but you're okay right now still. I know it might not feel that way. Like you're still perfect as you are and we're going to improve. And, and so having that radical honesty is so important, but then having the courage to say, no, but you're not literally perfect, right? We're, we right. need, we want to improve. We need to improve, but that doesn't mean you should devalue yourself now. And, and that's so tough. And, and she kind of captures that very strongly in, you know, 20 pages, 25 pages of that whole kind of uh, what it feels like to experience that. Right. And she alludes to her fear often without actually saying the word fear very often. And that, you know, at the, at the base of it, that hole she kept digging, it was a fear-based hole. Everything she was afraid of kept taking her lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And it wasn't until she actually got the courage to face those fears and say, and be very strong in saying, no, this is not what I want. This is what I'm willing to give up because this is what I believe. This is where I believe I need to go. And, you know, for me reading that, it just, um, it was huge. It was huge when I read it. 20 years ago or whenever the book came out and it still resonated today, even though I'm on a different part of my journey. Yeah. And, and I, that's why I think it's so important because it, it's not like a one-time read book because you can get so much out of it every single time that you read it. Yeah. I think literally like when I first read this, I think I read it three times in a row because I think I mentioned it was kind of like a manual for me of how to start mm -hmm. talking to myself. Cause I didn't know how to do that. And here's someone right. kind of showing that, but yeah, reading it now, it's still like reflecting on her. Like I'm very much able to kind of reflect on it differently than those first times I read it. And it's still really interesting. And I think, I, I do think there's like infinite reread value in it. Um, but I wanted to make a point on, can you summarize what you just said? I just lost my train of thought. The fear that fear, the, the hole she kept digging was that it was like fear was her shovel. And she kept digging that hole deeper mm. and deeper and deeper. And it wasn't until she was started to have the courage to face her fears that she was able to get 
to the point where she said, this is where I am. This is what I want. This is what I'm not willing to accept. And this is where I want to go. Right. And I think, yeah, that's kind of the, it's almost like for me, that's the next stage of what's so tough. And it's amazing because again, you know, she's kind of giving us in 12 chapters, a lot of preamble. Absolutely. And like, obviously this doesn't happen quickly. That process takes a lot of time. Well, it and, took her years. Sorry for interrupt, but it yeah, did. And, like, and for me, it was very much like the way I think of my journey. <clears throat> it was like one year was spent deconstructing everything I was, I thought I had to do. One year was trying to figure out, okay, who do I want to be? And then I've spent like a year and a half trying to be that person in the world. And what you said is like, you know, what's, I don't remember exactly the word you, you said, but it's around like really knowing who I want to be and saying nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's getting in the way. And it's tough. Like that's a really tough thing is you're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose relationships. You Like you might have to move. You might have to change jobs. Right. But like really focusing on the type of person you want to be, the type of life you want to live and knowing that that's the priority <clears throat> in life and, and, everything else has to fit in with that. Um, and she kind of walks us through that thing. And I know like it's, it's, it's arguably, I mean, this is all of these stages are very tough, but it's arguably the toughest in my experience is actually kind of implementing that um, and seeing the, the conflicts of, yeah, this person is valuable, but they no longer support the life I want to have and that sort of thing. One of the things I often say to myself when I'm struggling is letting go to let in. I'm letting go to let in. And I think that, you know, from it's part of the acceptance. It's the acceptance that, yes, you have to let go. At to your point, is it people? Is it places? Is it where you're working? Is it what you what your beliefs have been up until now? And that doesn't mean your core beliefs change. It's just how they've manifested, right? And then once you can do that letting go, so for her, the letting go was the acceptance that her marriage had to go and that all of those things, that's when she was able to let in. And later in the, in the, in the section that we read, she goes on a little journey to one of her places and she meets someone that starts her letting in process. And it's because she had done that huge cathartic letting go that she was able to start letting in yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think you know letting go is tough right but it's like you have to figure out how to do that to then make space right um and i think you know at any point in life it's important to be able to like assess and also let go the image you have of yourself right Mm -hmm. like do to you who should I be who am I supposed to be um and you know I encourage people to do that reflection before they get married but if that's not the case it's also important even when you've made those commitments if you let's call it wake up at 36 or whatever and you're like wow this isn't the life I want it's important to be able to let go even of that and I think it's absolutely unfortunate that we don't help young people learn how to know who they are and what they want so that they don't end up, you know, waking up at 25 or 35 and needing to radically, you know, change their life. That's, that's a bigger issue that we're not going to solve in in this podcast, but it happens to people in their fifties and sixties and seventies. It's, it's, you know, that's why they say life is a journey, right? And every experience we have brings us to who we're going to be. It's, um, I lost the word. I, um, it's, it's linked to that self-acceptance, right? And sometimes we have to go through those hard stages to come out on the other side and see the light mm-hmm. in the most basic way to say it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, before we get out to uh, her starting to explore that light, you know, we're, there's still a bit of preamble before we get to her actual journey. And so mm-hmm. now we're at a point where... Um, you know, she's, she's discovered she wants, she really wants to learn Italian. She's found this Indian guru. She wants a spiritual teacher. 
Right. Um, and she also, uh, you know, gets invited to, to Bali to hang out with this uh, medicine man. And so we start to see, even in all of that chaos and her life basically falling apart, there are some positive things that come about and, and she's starting to be open to things. And so it's like the, the first threads of what that she'll pull to try and discover who she is. Um, you know, um, one thing I want to just kind of highlight. So those are the, the it, it's interesting how right away we even see this, um, the kind of theme, right? So section one is on pleasure and it's very much, yeah, she just wants to learn Italian. There's no reason, like there are, you're, people are allowed to do things for pleasure, right? For the enjoyment of their own life. And it's like such a weird phenomenon for her to say, I just want to learn Italian because it makes me feel good. Like that's part of life is the joy and happiness of living. And so she starts to learn Italian for that. And that leads to her being going to Italy. She starts to want to understand, you know, what I would say her relationship with her deepest self, like her whole being or, you know, divinity or whatever she calls it. And she sees, okay, like someone who's been there before a guru, someone who can help me with that would be very helpful. And then she, you know, the, the, I still don't understand as broadly the Bali piece of it. Right. But it's very much, of she asks the, the medicine man when she meets him, she wants to learn how to have both, right? And it's interesting because there's actually a, a big issue in philosophy called the mind-body dichotomy. And most you know people, most thinkers think you have to pick either like divine transcendence and devotion to God or worldly pleasure, right? And so you see like, with many religions, that's the choice and things like that. And so she's already struggling with like, well, I want both. I want to know mm -hmm. how to be divine, be transcendent, but still live in love and enjoy my life. And so kind of, you know, that's what she asks him is how do I have both of these things? And I think that's like a very deep and t difficult and important question. Um, and, uh, what I want, like what he says, and you know, he, he draws this drawing for her and he says, you must keep your feet grounded so firmly on the earth that it's like you have four legs instead of two. That way you can stay in the world, but you must stop looking at the world through your head. You must look through your heart instead. That way you will know God. And you know, I don't wanna dissect the whole thing with my, my entire philosophic view, but I think the first part is really important is four feet on the ground, stay grounded to the earth. And this connects again to how important it is to really look at reality, look at what is going on around you, stay grounded in your life. What is going on? What's the truth? What's really happening here? Not, oh, what do I wish was happening? Not anything else, but just, um, that was my mail slot. Okay. Um, I thought you had a visitor. No, um, what is, <laughs> like, what is the life going on around me? Because that's the starting point, right? Life is this moment. I need to be grounded here and now. And then you can talk about the other things after. And, you know, head versus heart. I think there's a lot more complexity there. But I really, really like that part. So I also made notes on that. And I can relate to this in such a deep way because as I started my journey away from who I thought I was or who I thought I should be around my 40s, I started living very, 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 very much through the upper part of me, the divine. The, um, because my life up until that point had been so rooted and so grounded and I was doing everything I was supposed to do and I was following all of the typical paths. I was supposed to take. And once I let go of that, I ended up, as I started to explore myself, the divine part, that's what he refers to it, the divinity, however you want to call it, became so strong that I lost my footing. Mm -hmm. And I had to do work with somebody. And I did work with, I did work with different people throughout my time um, of that journey. But um, one of the people that I did the work with, she actually helped me start to be more grounded again. 
And that was a huge struggle because as I was up here, I was thinking, I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that. And I was like willing to let go of all of that. Mm-hmm. And I really had to, it took me years to be able to bring them both together. And I'm still working on it. I'm always working on it. Sometimes the down here gets so strong that I lose this. And sometimes this gets so strong, I lose that. And it's, it's, finding, it's finding the power within yourself or within myself. It's been finding the power to be able to bring them to back together more quickly mm-hmm. so that I don't get lost in one or the other. Yeah, I think that's so, such an important point. And what is, I would you know, posit at the core of many people's issues uh, without be, like not being satisfied in life is they, they subjugate one to the other instead of right. finding the balance. And often like someone is sort of like predisposed to one through their family or their philosophy, their religion. And then when they rebel, they just go way to the other side, right? They overcorrect because they've like had this unmet need for so long that they want to jump to it. And I was basically like, I, I joke, like I was basically a floating head for the first 24 years of my life, totally not grounded at all. And then I became a Buddhist for two years, let's say, right? Like I was just all about being grounded, being in the moment, not doing anything that might get me into my head even a little bit. And now I'm trying to learn how to do both. And it's Mm -hmm. so tough to actually kind of integrate. Absolutely. Like, and, you know, even from a psychological standpoint, it seems like like the, it's almost like the wiring's not strong there, right? Because I'm used to one or the other, one or the other. And now learning how to kind of hold them both is, is really tough. And so, you know. Oh, I was just going to say society. And this is something I think that Elizabeth struggled with in her book at the beginning is because society teaches you, society is rooted in the grounded stuff, the material, the, the, what we can see. And so we're, that's how we're programmed almost because of what society, our, what, what uh, Western society teaches us, right? Mm. And so it's so hard to be able to, again, let in that other piece. You know, I had an experience just, just recently where my work schedule was not um, uh, giving me the time to do my work that takes me to that place that is the higher place. And so I started spiraling. I started spiraling in what things were happening at work. And I felt like I was a gerbil on a wheel going like this. Mm. And then work gifted me the change in a schedule that now gave me the time to go back to doing those things that connect me to my divine Mm. so that I can find that balance again. And I felt it, I felt it in my body and it, and I was living it and I was in it like she was, but it wasn't until I took that change in my schedule and the first day of my new schedule did what I needed to do to do my work, my practice and felt, it was almost like this, um, probably like what she felt when she said, I'm just gonna go to bed. For me, it was almost like this big sigh of relief like my whole body just deflated around that, that anxiety or pressure or strain that it was feeling. And so that's where Elizabeth goes. She goes from being that we on that wheel to that sigh of relief. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, that's why the medicine man says the first thing is four feet on the ground. You have to stay grounded and I think many people let other circumstances uproot them. Absolutely. Right? And, and then it's very hard to, to calm down, to get grounded, to know where you are and who you are and stuff when all of that stuff's going on. Well, in chapter eight, she mm-hmm. said, um, I want to have a lasting experience of God. So again, God can manifest however it does for every single person. Some, and then she goes on to say, sometimes I feel like I understand the divinity of this world, but then I lose it because I get distracted. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's such an important thing is that we get distracted by choice or by circumstance. 
it's not always that we're choosing to get distracted, but sometimes just circumstance distracts us. Yeah. For me, it's kind of like, um, you know, mental focus. And I don't mean like concentration, but like this idea of like choosing to put, like get a hold on your mind. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's almost like a one-way switch. I don't know the proper term, but it's like, you can hold it and you have to really be holding it the whole time, but you can get distracted and it, you just kind of like let go. So it's not like you're choosing to get distracted. Right. It's this like, it's just, you, you release it and then like, who knows what happens. And it's really like being, it, it's a lot of effort and practice to always be holding that. So you don't get distracted and, and whatever else. And you can stay kind of connected to your deepest self, your purpose or whatever it is. And it's giving yourself permission that it's okay to get distracted as long as you can mindfully bring it back in and find that place to get, find, bring them both together well, again. And I think what happens is like maybe um, it's, I wouldn't maybe say distracted, but it's important to like have a full life so you can do those other things by choice, mindfully. But if Absolutely. you kind of, if you subjugate those parts of yourself, you will have a desire for them still. And that's when you end up letting go and getting distracted and doing self-destructive things because it's like unmet needs because you're not letting yourself meet them because you shouldn't or you're not supposed to or whatever else. Um, right. So I want to just add one more thing before we get to, or one and a half things before we get to like, you know, the last two chapters were finally in Italy um or three chapters in this section one is just bringing back this idea of you know even in a world even in a view where there is you know this god or this like even when you have a view of like the universe is so big and so important who am i like there, there's this conversation of even in that context you're infinitely important you're part of the universe Absolutely. you're like you have a right to demand what you want from the universe and you know whatever people's view are of that relationship, I do think there's this sentiment here of still like an I-centered thing. And it's like, I have a right to request what I want to go for what I want. And I don't have to kind of like, again, put myself secondary to kind of the, the flow of the world or just let only see what happens, right? Um, if I can just say something here, mm -hmm. you said something earlier about using the word I, accepting I. And it's so important because we're taught that if we use the word I, that we're selfish. It's not right. just about us. It's about the collective. It's about the team. It's about whatever it may be. And I had to learn how to use the word I. And she says something because when she decides that she's going to go to India, she's going to go to Italy, India, and Indonesia, she said she wanted to explore the art of pleasure in Italy, the art of devotion in India and Indonesia, the art of balancing the two. It was only later after admitting this dream that she noticed the happy coincidence that all these countries begin with the letter I, a fairly auspicious sign it seemed on a voyage of self-discovery. And society, I think that we, as when we're parents, and then as we become more aware adults, have um, awareness is not losing I. Awareness is not losing self. And so by accepting that I am the most important for me, I love myself the most, that's the only way that we can bring that to other people. Right. And the people that we love might get angry or, you know, in her case, she left her husband and he was very bitter and fought with her terribly around that. Um, but by starting to recognize the I in her life, she she was able to give herself permission to do what she needed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, 100 percent. And I I definitely. I think that's really important. And again, it's about understanding that I'm the most important means to me. Whereas people have this idea of if you claim to be the most important, some people think then everyone has to serve me. 
or other people might think that's what you think. It's like, no, no, no. I'm the most important to me. I'm going to focus on me and you do that for you. Absolutely. Then, then we can get along, right? We can both like negotiate, we can trade, we can work together, but only if we both think we're each the most important. And there's this issue of when you don't do that, it just causes issues either way. You kind of demand sacrifices for of others to you, or you just sacrifice yourself to them. And then it it just doesn't work. And so it's it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Not at all. Um, Yeah. So I think that's a really important point. And so now we do get to, you know, she petitions God, let's say Um, that's what, you know, she says, and she ends up getting um, to Italy. And so we have now, you know, we start with her in Italy meeting this tandem exchange partner. Can I just interject one thing here? Yeah. She did get to Italy, but she quit her job. She sold all her assets. She basically. Well, she lost the divorce. Well, she lost her assets, but she did quit. She did have a little bit. She quit her job and she left everything behind. She took that ultimate. Um. It's like, you know, it makes me think of the, the idea of like the born again Christian, right? It's like, right. I'm starting a new life now. <laughs> like, yes, right. I made, and you know, I made mistakes. There were issues, but like now I'm awake and I'm deciding I need to figure out who I am. And, and you don't have to go travel for a year. Not everyone can afford that. That's not necessary, but it's like, just kind of whatever it is i'm leaving that behind and i'm starting fresh and i think like she clearly did that she was she was willing to make the sacrifices to find herself well see i wouldn't call those sacrifices i think like well i'm just using the word sacrifice because that's the way society would term it i don't i i agree they're not sacrifices i'm using the general term Mm. of how most of society would perceive it right right yeah when 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 you actually know how valuable you are to yourself absolutely you're not not making like it's as difficult as it is it's almost an easy choice once you absolutely ground in like how important you are absolutely um yeah and so now she gets to italy in chapter Mm -hmm. 10 you know we met giovanni we learn a little bit at the very start of the of the section um, and then we just kind of get nothing uh, too uh, grandiose in these first few chapters. We're just kind of learning about how she's in Italy. She's, you know, learning Italian. She loves it. It's like the whole world is there. Someone designed Rome just for her to experience Italian. How beautiful is that? And Well, not I just th- Italian, gelato. Yeah, but like it's, it's like who like who created this whole universe just for me? Like how yeah. incredible! And you know, I think that's a great way to live, right? Um, I think like that mentality is so powerful and important. And, and so when, yeah, oh, I, there's nothing. I, I I don't have anything uh, too big or profound to talk about these kind of chapter ten to twelve. I think we'll really get into the meat of her exploration of pleasure and stuff in the next episode. Um, do you have any thoughts on these, on her, like her well, getting she, to Italy and initial thoughts? Well, I already, day? I was already starting to experience the pleasure of it with her, just in the way she was looking at the people, the way she was hearing the laughter, right? Of the families and the birth there. At one point she talks about a child's birthday party and she just could hear the laughter and she could hear the noise and, you know, she ha- and I brought up gelato a second ago because she actually found this gelato place and had three visits in one day to the gelato place. Yeah. If that's not pleasure, what is? And each time she went, she tried a different flavor combination. Mm-hmm. And she t- and to me, that's base pleasure, right? Food base pleasure. So Italy is the language, Italy for her was the pleasure of learning her language, but it was also the pleasure of experiencing the food. She talked about the food a lot. And she she loves books, she loves the word, she's a writer. So she found a bookstore. And in that bookstore, she bought two poetry books or one one for sure was a poetry book. And on one page, it was Italian and one page it was English. So she could learn through what she loves the most. And um, on page 41, or sorry, in chapter 12, she ended chapter 12 with this. And this just 
resonated for me so much. De I'm not, my accent's not going to be good, but she found a spot by one of her favorite fountains and she was, she started reading her poetry book. And the first poem ended with, Dal centro della mia vita venne una grande fontana. From the center of my life, there came a great fountain. And she says, I set the book down in my la lap, shaking with relief. And it was like, I get shivers reading it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna cry, I'm not gonna cry. Um, because our journeys can be so hard, but then the fountain and the water can be so cleansing. And when you can get to that point, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I think that's so important. I both like, you know, you identifying that already she is kind of capturing that pleasure aspect. And that, that ending of chapter 12 in particular is really big because again, we just spent, you know, quite a while talking about how important it is to find yourself, to know who it is. And from that point, from that air, that place, that's where everything flows out of, right? You need to find the center of yourself, the center of your life. And that is when you find that, then life flows out of it. Then you can be who you want to be. Then anything is possible. And I really believe that as well. And it's, it's quite uh, incredible. Magical. Mm -hmm. It's magical. Yeah. And so I think next time we'll get into pleasure as well and, and the kind of exploration, because I don't want people to think like, you know, their whole life should just be pursuing kind of like base pleasures. But I don't think that's, you know, what she has intended oh, either. Not at all. Yeah. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to explore that. So do you have any last any last thoughts on, you know, on our first um, 12 chapters? It reminded me that the work can be hard but the rewards are worth the work and the journey. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I'd say like, in my view, there's no other choice, right? Like, Absolutely. like this is who you are. This is your life. Um, and, and, you know, at any point in time, if someone's listening to this and they're like, you know, is it worth it? It seems really tough. The answer is yes, because there's really no other option. The other option is misery, basically. Absolutely. Um, and that's what she started. That's where she started her book, right? And just by the end of chapter 12, she's already shown that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to our next, uh, next 12 chapters. Thank you, David.